Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. This episode is going to dig into the world of 7v7 soccer here in the US. That's U9, U10. And we're looking at what really you can do as a coach to set up for 7v7, what your focus might be, how you can have success, what you should really be looking at to challenge your players. And there's several different ways that you can go about this. And I'll explore this a little bit more as we look at maybe building from 4v4 into 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11. Or you might start the other way and consider what you want your 11v11 team to look like, especially if you're part of a larger organization that has a club-wide game model. And then what that looks like for 9v9 and then how that filters down to 7v7. But the the foundation of this podcast came from my question to Twitter, which was, what do you do for 7v7? What's important for you to focus on? And of course, Twitter doesn't disappoint. It never does. So make sure you follow me at Lead on Soccer. Jump on there and see the thread that came up. And I also recently posted one about 9v9s, which we'll get into in the next episode. And you'll see just how much information there is out there, how much people have to say about 7v7 soccer. there was a core set of answers that came from the coach side and then there was a core set of answers that came from the player side. So I want to explore the coaching side of things first and again back to my opening statement where maybe you are part of a larger organization and you have to fit into the mold, you have to work within a set of parameters to prepare your players for the next level or maybe you're an independent and you just coach your team in a club that doesn't really have that structure and you are free to go and you plan to take your kids from 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11. Now understanding where you are in your environment is key but then also understanding who your players are. So looking at the role of the coach, there people are saying that we need to look at patience and understanding of what you want as a coach and what you want for your players. So patient and understanding. Now let's interpret that. Do you want to win? Do you need to win? Are you trying to show how good your independent team is and how you should pick up the best players from the local community? Or are you providing a playing opportunity for a group of kids who are all good friends and just really want to enjoy playing the game? So now you have to have a patience and understanding around what their wants and needs are. Are you looking at pushing players into college? College is a great avenue for players to get into. A lot of players you'll see will play soccer with a with a hope of getting into college. Of course, a scholarship is always a really appealing factor too. Is that going to be something that's going to play into the way you set up and thinking about how perhaps your players need to be flexible because they may go to a college where the coach may demand something completely different from what you've demanded. Now, do you have connections with college coaches to get those players in line? And yes, we're still talking about 7v7 soccer, but that soon flies by and then within four, five, six years, we're beginning to consider those players being able to go on to college or become eligible for college. So now I have to consider what the big picture looks like. So back to my initial question, are you looking at 11 v 11 and working backwards or are you looking at 4 v 4 and working forwards? All of that will come with understanding of your players. Now, of course, your players need to start somewhere. You need to have a jumping off point. You need to have, if you... I'll go to the idea of measurables. And if you follow Mark Savides and noticed what he commented in the thread, how they have expected outcomes for every player within their teams, within their club. 
So it's a checkbox. By the end of 77 or by the end of each season, you should be able to check off these aspects of your game. And they've taken that and tailored that for 77 players and they've done the same for 9v9 and then they're doing the same for 11v11. Or do you simply say, we will have success as a team and not necessarily as individuals? This is your setup and these are really important questions that I think will help you set up for the success that you can have with your players. Do you need to worry about winning championships or do you need to worry about players loving the game? And again, a lot of this will come from understanding and then the understanding should bring patience because you have a full understanding of where your players are at, where you are at as a coach and what your environment says about the way you're going to play the game. So now the good stuff, the really into the weed stuff that coaches love to get into. And if you've taken any coaching courses and had the opportunity to sit around with a group of coaches over dinner or over a beer, then you know exactly what this conversation goes like. That I have my opinion, you have your opinion, we challenge each other, we talk about it, suddenly my opinion changes or maybe your opinion changes or a third coach comes and sticks their nose in and gives you a completely different perspective. And then suddenly your whole philosophy has changed over the course of a single beer. So now the argument is or the consideration is what do your players need? What do we need to give our players? Going back to we're building up to 11v11 or are we working back to 4v4 from the 11v11 game? You may have a different idea, but this is the beautiful thing about Twitter and that everybody gave their opinion because I asked for it and I'm going to share some of that. So number one, the common thing that came out was space understanding spacing and I think that's a really relative point if you watch any youth soccer game even at 4v4 and especially at 7v7 players who haven't really been taught understanding of spaces and not just the typical shout of spread out but actually understanding what spaces mean for them in the game you'll see the swarm the swarm is a wonderful thing where there are a goalkeeper in there's a goalkeeper in each goal and then you've got 12 other players just running around chasing the ball then you may have worked with in an organization or seen other games where coaches have worked so much on spacing that players are often scared to leave their area of the field. And you'll see this, especially with defenders that won't necessarily cross the halfway line, or maybe they'll just stand on the edge of the goalkeeper box acting as sole defenders. Then we look at when the players are actually able to play the game or receive the ball, what are their angles like? What is their body shape like? Do they just look at the ball and control it back into the pressure that it came from or are they able to receive on this coach's favorite tagline of back foot then that comes with a width and distance are they giving themselves enough spacing do they understand what width means now width doesn't necessarily mean players on each touch line it's being wide enough to pull the opponent apart so if the opponent is super narrow you can have enough width and still be stood in the middle of the field if the ball is on the opposite side then when you're defending, we're looking at compactness. Now, you'll notice that a lot of these kind of keywords, these key focal points are all part of the game. They're all elements of the game. So we're looking at, we have width, we have balance, we have compactness. One thing that really wasn't touched on because I think perhaps it was 
a given is the idea of penetration or pressure. So this first attacker. And I think that comes from the idea that at 4v4, we should be teaching more ball mastery. We should be teaching players to be more comfortable on the ball, to be able to penetrate, mostly with a dribble, but of course shooting and passing too. And then the counter to that is that every player with a ball at their feet should always have pressure. So pressure is always being worked on too. So there wasn't too much focus on the singular in the game and it started to spread out into the first the second and the third attacker and defender so it's pressure cover balance and then it's penetration with support and width so these are counter points to help the players defend or attack and then the key words that come out with looking at attackers are about breaking lines, they're about overloads, they're about combinations, it's about forward passing, which I think is a really interesting one. We're looking at switching the play, we're looking at having players with a head up and being able to react to transitions. And then the crazy thing about 7v7 is introducing things like set pieces. We have understanding the rules, there's things like the build outline if you're playing in the US. There are things like corners and understanding what a free kick is and not just having a coach on the sideline throw the ball back in like you may have done at 4v4. So when you think about the game, it's just there is so much that you need to teach them as fundamentals of the game. And I think this is where my gripe with soccer is right now, that we overload too much information on 7v7. And I don't think we need to teach them the entire game right now because there's so much going on for them. If you read the note from Michael Carroll, he notes that the game has increased by 300%. More players, there are there's more space on the field. There's more things going on. So there's so much more complexity for a player from a 4v4 fun little scrimmage type environment with pug goals to now playing in a quote-unquote official game with referees. So without getting into the weeds of what needs to be done or all of these things that we need to achieve, I can hear you asking, what do I think? Of course, this is the Heads and Volleys podcast and this is my voice to the world. And my answer is, it's complicated. They need to love the game. Ultimately, these players need to love the game. They need to come back next week. They need to come back tomorrow and they need to want to play. They need to love what they're doing. The 9v9, I asked the same question of the 9v9 and I'll touch on this in the next podcast, but there really wasn't all that much addition. And so there seems to be an overwhelming expectation that everything needs to be taught at 7v7. So therefore, you would think it's essential to get 7v7 right. And I think I would agree that this is the most important time for a player, but not to teach all of these concepts of the game, but more about for them to love it. So then look at your program and look where the players are coming from. Are you tied to a recreational youth program that plays 4v4 or a variation thereof? And what does that program do? Is it just about fun games? And are you able to impact that program to begin to give these players just a little bit more of a leg up so that when they come to you at 7v7, now they are understanding of some basic concepts? Are you in an organization that wants to prepare them for 11v11? And is there a approach or a strategy for these 4v4 level of players? 
Everybody seems to boast about a recreational program for these really young players. And hopefully that means that it's an opportunity for these players to learn and not just a way for clubs to create the funnel where these players are coming in and they're always going to filter into the rest of their teams later on. Typically that means money, that means revenue, that means jobs, of course, but it also often means that the players' needs are left behind because we as a club are going to take them so nobody else can. So really understand that environment. And on top of that... I think there are idiotic rules that are in the game. There are things like throwings. There's nothing worse than watching an eight-year-old try and throw the ball and it's a foul throw, so then the ball goes to the other team. Now, you may have the opinion that it's not hard for a kid to learn how to take a throw, and I agree that throwing a ball isn't necessarily difficult, that you can teach them. That, I mean, there are hopefully this isn't the only thing you take away from this podcast, but there is something that you can do where you can just have your players cross their legs. So they're standing with their legs crossed, and then they throw the ball. You ever tried to jump with your legs crossed? So there are ways that you can bring throw-ins in so that players are able to throw the ball in. But look at the complexity that they've got to try and throw it to their teammate. They've got to try and maybe throw it down the line, as you hear coaches say all the time. They've got to try and throw it not to the other team and not so the other team can score. And they've also not got to jump. This is why I think it's an idiotic rule that is unnecessary. And there are some folks who have the luxury of playing within organizations that don't have throw-ins at 7v7, but we do. And so... I think we could serve these players better if we understood the bigger picture. And I think if you just even read the tweets and the thread about 7v7 soccer and the just the unlimited complexities that are in place for these players, something like a throw-in probably could be could be taken away, in my world anyway. So building on what's necessary for these players, look at working in pairs. And I think this is really, really important. Players aren't so selfish at 77 as they were at 4v4. We don't need one player, one ball. We can play in a small group. We can play in a pair. We can play in a trio. And if you look at typical formations in 7v7, you can often pair or trio players together, whether that is a winger and a fullback playing together, whether that's two central midfielders or three central defenders. However you set up, you can create groups within the master formation. And I think if you're in your environment understanding what you're going to try and play, start by building the relationships that are going to be necessary for players to be able to do all of the things that we mentioned, like passing, like supporting, like playing forward passes, like overloading. I think we can start with working in small groups, then build from that, which then takes me to how we are going to do this. And I think, and i I have become a huge supporter of the idea of programs like Tom Byers, and I created something very similar within San Francisco, which is called SFYS at Home, and it tasks players to train or play at home every day, and they have a framework from which to play in, and it's as simple as saying, I want you to juggle for five minutes. I want you to play with a wall or with a partner for five minutes. I want you to do some target practice for five minutes. Now, these are short time frames, and they encourage parents to play too, but it's teaching the kids some of the how, how to control a ball on their own. Yes, there's a identical or a 
perfect way to control the ball with the inside of the foot and take a nice touch and have the ball just in front of you so you can strike it if you need to. But in reality, the pressure of a game and the situations of a game, we rarely get that opportunity to control the ball like that. So why not go and play and figure it out for yourself? Get a touch with the toes, get a touch with the heel, get a touch with the bottom of your foot. But playing with a wall or giving these challenges that I believe will help these players get ready for when they come and train. So when they come and train and they're playing in a little 3v3, They've worked on the how a little bit at home. So now we can work with them on the why. Why would they need to control the ball and move into this space? Or why do they need to do this? Or why do they need to do that? Now, thinking about the complexity of the game, I'm not just teaching you to pass back and forth in a technical practice. I'm actually teaching you how to play within the why. So you've worked on your passing again. Now you're coming and this is why you're going to do it. And I think understanding that our players don't play all that much, regardless of their age. We all want our players to play more, and you always see these tweets and pictures of empty soccer fields where kids aren't playing because they don't go out on their own and play, or parents don't take them out and play, and especially right now, we're struggling. So why not set a standard for your players to begin to build a foundation without you so that when they come to your training for one or two times a week, they're actually able to get more out of it. We can build on the complexity because a lot of the foundation work has been taken care of. Now, the argument, of course, is going to be, well, what if my kids don't do that? What if they don't train on their own? Can you find two kids out of your 12 or 14 player roster, How depending on how big your team is, can you play Can you find two, three, four kids that will do it? And then can you highlight how good they are becoming because they're doing it? And now you have a team environment that is suddenly starting to raise its own standard. So we've got one player who's training all the time and we've got one player who isn't. That one player who isn't may just begin to see the player who is and take an interest because they want to be as good as that player. They want to have the success that that other player is playing. Maybe they want to score goals like that other player, or maybe they want to be the reliable defender like that other player. And so you create this environment that it's better and better and better because they're all trying to follow each other. They're all trying to take on the best player on the team or the best player in the environment. So ultimately, assess your environment. Where are your players coming from? What is their experience? What are the expectations around them and from their families? Are they kids that play in the street all the time? Are they kids that just like to play and have a good time? We There's no right or wrong answer. Are we looking for national championship U, U10 teams or are we looking for kids to stop picking daisies and actually just try and kick the ball a little bit? There's no right or wrong, but it helps you understand where you're starting. You can get into the weeds with how you break lines, how you play into different spaces or how you create overloads but I think that's a waste of time if we're not getting the fundamentals right and the fundamentals for me and my advice is going to be understand your players get them training on their own at home fun little skill challenges things like that and then build on it from there understand that they're going to be needed to be playing within small groups within the game so you may have a formation whether that's part of a build to the 11v11 game or it's just a simple build from the 4v4 game we teach them some of those fundamentals of playing in a two playing in a three playing with a player ahead of them or a player behind them 
And then we add in how to play the game. How do we learn to play the game? We play the game. So in training, I'm looking at as many playing opportunities as possible. And within that, we introduce throw-ins, we introduce goal kicks and the build-out line, we introduce corners, we introduce fouls. So we play the game, add all of these little things in. Maybe you've played for a couple of weeks of training straight away, and suddenly you've got players who are starting to understand just a little bit more. Get them on the how at home, get them on the why in training. And then from that, you can begin to build your understanding of what it may take for them to get to the end of the season or what you think is going to be necessary for them for the end of the season. And then from the end of the season, we build on it and we build on it and we just build the momentum. As I said early on, there's got to be a jumping off point. There's got to be a point that we start where we where we get going. We've got to identify. And I think early on, it becomes games focused. It becomes introducing what the game is actually about and having fun with it so that they're not overwhelmed, so that they don't lose out, so that when the referee blows the whistle, the entire field doesn't stop and look at him completely confused because they have no idea what a goal kick is or no idea what a foul throwing is. And I think before we get into the weeds of overloads and switches and breaking lines, understanding is key. Understanding is key. I want to thank you for trusting me or at least listening to me and my concerns and my exploration over the 7v7 game. I want to thank all the people who joined in on Twitter. They are all tagged in the show notes, so you can always follow them. But they're the, the great people that I think are doing the right things in youth soccer. They are the ones who are just trying to share their message. And it's all opinion and there's no right or wrong answer, but there's lots of good questions that you can ask. More coming from Heads and Volleys real soon. 9v9 podcast will be a good one too, so look out for that. Let me know what you think. Leave me a review. Tweet me at Lee Soccer, and I can't wait to hear from you.